Hello and welcome to SaaS Marketing Insights, the show where we ask SaaS founders, CEOs, marketers and investors about the lessons they've learned in their quest to grow their companies. My name is Paul Stevenson and I'm founder and CEO of SaaS marketing agency 47 Insights. On today's show, I have an interview with Rand Fishkin, co-founder and CEO of Spark Toro. Hope you enjoy it. Rand Fishkin, uh, formerly of Mars, now of Spark Toro. Uh, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me, Paul. Looking forward to it. Cool. So um, there's a whole bunch of different things that we could talk about, but um, I'm really, really interested in, and I think uh, the audience would be interested in, uh, the developments that uh, you and Casey are working on uh, over there in Seattle uh, with Spark Toro. So um, it's a, a new venture. So just give us from when you left Mars, because I don't want to go over all of that Mars territory again, uh, you know, when you left through to where you are now and, and basically, you know, the direction that you're headed, because I think people would love to hear about that. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. So I left Moz. My last day was February 28th and I started SparkToro on March 1st um, because I wanted some time off, you know, to relax and unwind. And the, uh, the first few months were primarily around, you know, I would say three or four things. Um, getting Casey and I on the same page about what we were planning on building and how we were planning on going about it. So we spent a, a good chunk of time together uh, nailing those things down as well as setting up legal and corporate entity, uh, and then doing a fundraising round. So lots of phone calls with investors and potential investors and making some decisions around what we wanted to build and how we wanted to build it. I, I don't mean build in terms of the software, but what we wanted to do in terms of a company. So we had this conversation like, you know, hey, neither of us are particularly passionate about trying to build a billion dollar plus unicorn monopoly. Um, I'm not actually a big fan of monopolies. I don't think they're very good for the economy. I don't think they're good for society. Um, I get that they make you a lot of money if you, you know, one in a million shot of building one, but, um, but I don't love that. And I don't love the odds model of the classic venture backed uh, startup, you know, which are, are very low. I think it's like, somewhere between four and 6% of companies that, are, uh, that take venture rounds end up returning you know, the appropriate multiple that, that makes their investors satisfied and happy. And I think that in those 95% of cases where it doesn't happen, it's not a great experience for anyone. Mm. Uh, so we decided instead to do this very unique sort of angel-only round that had, that had a very strange construct. The idea is that the company will be profitable, and then people who invest in it can make money from the profits, which sounds insane in tech startup world and like the only thing a company is for in every other world. Yeah. Um, so uh, we, yeah, we're, we're not incredibly passionate about the tax dodging vehicle of, you know, um, 409A valuations and, you know, stock appreciation and all that stuff just to save 20% on our taxes, that didn't, uh, that didn't particularly call to us. And so we, we set up the structure, we closed our round uh, 1.3 million from, I think it was 35, 36 investors in uh, June. And the last few months, I mean, Casey obviously had been working on some of the engineering and technology side before that, and I'd been working on the product side. But for the last couple of months, we've been essentially, you know, full steam ahead on that stuff. So 
I talk to a lot of potential customers and people who we think might be good customers and product people and um, yeah, I mean, folks like yourself, right? Who, who have been in the industry and know a lot yeah. about it and, and have some passion around this and talk about the problem that we're trying to solve and figure out if the way that we are thinking about it and positioning it resonates with you, right? If it, if it makes sense to you and a hundred other people like you, I think, I think it's got a real shot in the market. And if it doesn't, then we need to tweak and tune things. Uh, so that's what we've been doing. And as you mentioned, we put out a few free tools um, to sort of test the waters and show off what we can do, as well as to collect some uh, Twitter OAuth tokens so that we can make the requests that we want to make. Um, yeah, and that's been, that's been the last uh, six months. So that's been a whirlwind. So in terms of the, the, you know, the, the problem for anybody who hasn't yet looked at the Spark Toro uh, website, the, 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 the paid product that you're working on, can you just explain to us a bit more about the problem that you're trying to solve? Because I think it's a, a problem that resonates for a whole load of people. Yeah, I think the weirdest thing about this problem, Paul, is that it doesn't have a name. <laughs> I, I, can't, I, I can't tell you how many phone calls and interviews I have with people, and I ask them, okay, tell me what you call this process. You know, you've got a, a new campaign or a new product or you're, you're an agency or a consultant, you're working with a new company. Um, and they audience with our message, right? And then bring them to whatever, our website or uh, our storefront and attract sort of their, um, attract their attention and interest so that we can potentially convert them to a customer, which is what all marketing is, right? And then the, the first thing that you do is you go learn a lot about that audience and try and figure out what do they pay attention to? Right? What, do they, what do they read? What websites do they visit? What social networks are they active on? Uh, who and what do they follow and pay attention to? What podcasts do they listen to? What events do they go to? Um, what YouTube channels are they subscribers to? Right? All those kinds of things so that you can then go do your marketing activities. Oh, we're going to try and pitch to speak at this conference and see if we can get a, be a guest on this podcast and write a guest editorial for this blog and sponsor this event, you know, whatever it is, right? And Insanely enough, I don't think that problem, despite being pervasive, has a name. And so this problem without a name of discovering all the um, people and publication that your audience, publications that your audience pays attention to, that is the problem SparkTorio is trying to solve. Yeah, and that is a problem, you know, what do you call it? Customer audience discovery? I don't know. I don't know the name for it, but... Um it's understanding the whole uh, way that uh, a customer is, is, could be found and uh, you know, the, the influence, uh, the decision-making make, process, the whole customer journey, if you like. Um, that is something that you know, we come across as an agency problem all the time. You start having conversation with a client and sometimes they just don't know where their audience is. <laughs> you know, and, and it's your job to find out. You know, they, they've got this product or they've got this service and you know you need to dig in and actually solve those problems for them <laughs> so in terms of where the product is now um i haven't seen and i don't know whether you publicized uh what your kind of roadmap is or how long it's going to take is it because you're still on the, the discovery stage it sounds like casey's building stuff or you know uh uh, how long do you think it will be before you have something that you're happy to put out there? Yeah, I think 
you know, my suspicion is we're going to be probably pushing something uh, out there live maybe by Jan somewhere, somewhere between January and March, I hope to have something that I could show, you know, a beta group of private users, and then by the spring, have something publicly available. That's, that's kind of our, our target range right now. Um, I think that could vary. One of the things that I, that's very different about me, you know, versus my time at Moz is I'm very unwilling to put out a, you know, sort of imperfect product. I'm happy to wait you know, a month, three months, even six months to get something that is polished and extremely high quality that my, you know, the, the beta users are raving about and they're using, you know, every week and, and fi just finding incredible value from uh, versus, hey, let's launch this thing early and sort of see how it goes and we can tweak it along the way. Um, I don't, I don't think that that model works very well. That sort of MVP model works very well if you have a lot of eyeballs paying attention to you. And, you know, I suspect with SparkToro because of my history at Moz and sort of the network and following that I've built up that, you know, when we announce that we have something ready, a lot of people are going to come take a look and they will all judge us and sort of think of the product and think of the company in whatever way they perceive the product on day one for the next 10 years. And it's going to be very tough to change minds after day one. And so day one has to really resonate. So rather than uh, an MVP, it's a, a DVP, or I think you called it an EVP, like decent EVP, viable product. Yeah, yeah <laughs> exceptional, exceptional yeah. viable product. Oh, that's that's quite a high bar, isn't it? But I, suppose, mm -hmm. I guess you know you've got uh, both you and Casey have got uh, pretty high reputations that uh, you need to uh, sustain. Yeah, fingers crossed, right? <laughs> uh, no, I mean I, I think that that I think that that is also. It's also more doable because the product that we're building is extremely focused, right? So many folks have talked about, oh, well, are you going to help marketers, you know, manage their, um, their PR and influencer and social media marketing and content marketing campaigns through this service, which is a reasonable thing that we could do, but yeah. no, the answer is no, we won't. Um, we, will, okay. we will exclusively help with the discovery piece. We're not going to try and be a you know, full monitoring solution. We're not going to try and be a, um, you know, a solution where you can sort of directly sponsor or pay people or try and, you know, get people in publications onto our networks and, and surface those first or allow people to buy advertising to show up higher in our lists. None of that stuff, right? We are exclusively a, essentially a search engine, right? Yeah. You know, in the, in the most basic, like Google in 1998 type of sense, you search, <laughs> You get results, you choose the ones that you want, you add them to your list, and now you can start to do your marketing campaign of whatever kind you want to do. I think that sounds great. And, I, you know, I, I, I'm rereading your book for the third time now. Oh. <laughs> I think I've, I said in my uh, uh, email to you that, um, you know, first I bought it digitally, then I bought a hard copy, which my son read, and, and you know, I'm just, there's just so much that's, that's great in there. But... I think what you just mentioned came out of, you know, if it's my understanding out of Mars where, you know, you created this tool that was too many things to too many different people. Uh, and you'd wish that you'd always kept, you know, keep it simple, stupid, I think. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that's why I'm just nodding along with everything that you're saying about, you know, your intent for, for Spark Toro to, have, to just have that focus. Uh, mm -hmm. And it makes I it so much easier. I've been surprised. I think marketing professionals are sort of different from a lot of other 
professions that I've observed, which is that we, we happily jump between dozens of different, you know, one-off tools to do. Uh, I will happily, even though I have a Moz subscription, I'll happily jump to Screaming Frog to do this particular crawl. And, oh, then I'm going to use Write to do this other type of crawl. And then I'll jump into Google Search Console and then I'll pop over to Ahrefs and I'll go back to Moz's Link Explorer. And then I'll, you know, jump into some different keyword tool. Incredible, right? Uh, I'll hop to BuzzSumo and get their content. All of these different tools, marketers are very comfortable jumping between. They don't really care that the interfaces are different. Um, I think that's you know that's very strange to like a salesperson who thinks either I use Salesforce or one of their competitors, and that's like the only thing that I have. Or an accounting professional might say, "Yeah, everything's in QuickBooks. I don't you know I don't jump out into all these other different." tools and processes. Um, I guess that's why the, uh, the, the whole MarTech uh, you know, marketplace is, is so rich. You know, it's yeah. five, 6,000 products because we're all so promiscuous with the tools we use. It's, that's absolutely right, yeah. Great space to be in. <laughs> and there's room for one more. I mean, I think it's a great space to be in if you are looking to build a, you know, five to $50 million revenue a year company at that is profitable and you know can sort of survive and do well and build passionate customers. I think it's a really tough space to be in if your goal is put everyone else in this space out of business and be the monopoly that sort of owns it exclusively. Um, even the biggest, biggest players, right? People like MailChimp are not monopolies. There's 50 other email companies that are doing decent revenue um, and that, you know, that serve other needs. Yeah, and of course, the coolest thing about Mailchimp is that they're private. <laughs> That's right, and they, I mean, they didn't even—they didn't even need to raise, uh, you know, venture investment. They raised some private funds, but yeah, incredible. Yeah, fantastic. Um, so that's Spark Toro, and uh, you've got two free tools at the moment, and you're working on the pay <laughs> tool and hoping to beat to that uh, early next year. Yeah, we, um, we actually have plans for one more free tool uh, coming ah. out in just the next few weeks. Cool. Can you tell us anything about it? I can, yeah. It is, um, it's designed to audit a Twitter account and determine what, what percent and which of the followers are actually active engaged followers versus, you know, inactive, um, you know, whatever it is, Russian bots, um, <laughs> you know, um, the yeah. uh, political propaganda followers that, that, seem to be cropping up a lot, the, the fake followers that people buy for their accounts to inflate their numbers, those kinds of things. So it is a, um, yeah, sort of an auditing tool for that. And the, the idea is you could just plug in any Twitter account and get a percentage, right? So here's, here's Paul's account and, you know, 93% uh, of his followers are, are real accounts and 7% probably not. And here's somebody else's account and boy, it looks like 40% of their followers are fake. So you should you should not think of that account as having the influence that it does. You should be, you know, questioning a lot of that. And when's, uh, when's that coming out, Rand? Uh, we are aiming for, I think before the end of October, it might even be, might even be the next couple of weeks. Oh, wow. I'm going to have to push this podcast to the front then. <laughs> <laughs> well, I tell you what, I'll, I'll, I'll make sure to drop you an email the, the night before it launches and you can, uh, you can come out with the exclusive. Cool. So, uh, what what else uh, keeps you awake at night? Because um, I know uh, you're a, uh, a feminist, and yeah. there's been 
uh, in some incidents fairly recently, which, you know, just, uh, you just still can't believe it happens, but, uh, you know, seminars, conferences uh, should be safe places for everybody. And yeah. uh, that's not always the case. And, and I know that's something that you've been working on in the background as well. I just wondered uh, if you had anything, any developments or insights on that that you could share with us. Yeah, yeah. So this, uh, uh, thanks for bringing it up, Paul. So this is this basically stemmed from about 18 months ago when I was at a conference and um, a woman who was uh, was also there had a you know really sort of terrible experience where she um, was assaulted and chased and um, thankfully managed to get away from this uh, this guy who was a speaker at the same conference. Um, and the event organizers were told uh, what happened, and um, you know the uh, the woman decided not not to sort of press charges or pursue it further, but but inform the the event folks of what had happened, and they they sort of promised to take care of it. And then um, a few months later, uh, she found out that you know this person had been invited back to keynote. Yeah. Um, and so clearly, you know, clearly these event organizers had, had changed their mind. And so I, um, she reached out to me. I, I had a call with um, the event organizers. Uh, they changed direction on this and, you know, sent her an apology. And um, I think it's, you know, I was very frustrated that that's what it took, that, you know, getting, getting the third party involved is what it took to, to take action. But it made me realize that this is... Um, not an isolated incident. I had this. I had this conversation with a, a number of folks, especially you know um, a lot of women speakers who I'm friends with in the um, in the search and marketing and tech fields. You know, entrepreneurs too, and uh, all of them said, "Oh yeah, this is this is what it's like, right? You know, if you if you're a woman and you go to an event, you know, you you just have to you do the calculus every time. You know, is it worth this? And can I afford? You know, I want to go out with these." Um, you know, with some of the speakers after the event, because, you know, that's when a lot of the networking happens. It's good for my career and you build friendships and relationships, but it's also very risky. You know, can I afford to do this? I thought this is crap. I have never, my whole career, I've never had to think twice about, oh, do I want to go get a drink with Danny Sullivan after, you know, SES Toronto in 2005 and, um, and, and further a relationship that was instrumental to my career. Absolutely, I do. I didn't even have to think about it, right? And of course, I, I think that just that cognitive load sucks. So this project is a result of those experiences and conversations. Um, it's called Project Event Safe. It, it is. It has been a long, slow, tedious process. I had a pro bono uh, law firm who was helping me out with the legal side of it, which is complicated to say the least. Um, and uh, eventually, they ended up sort of dropping out, and I, I, uh, I ponied up to pay an attorney. Um, an attorney's office here in Seattle and have been working with them to structure it, to get insurance and, and protections, all those kinds of things in place. Um, and then to contact event organizers. And basically the idea behind it is fundamentally to build a, a private shared database between event organizers where they would be able to say uh, this, you know, we had an incident reported. Um, we investigated it and we did or did not take serious action as a result. They won't be able to specify what the action was or what the accusation was or those kinds of things. But that way, if you see, oh, hey, Rand Fishkin was uh, reported at, at three different events, you know, maybe, maybe we shouldn't invite him to our event, 
Um, and I think that the problem is that a lot of these, um, you know, I, I don't want to just say speakers, right, but speakers and attendees, I think a very small number of mostly men are responsible for, you know, making the vast majority of the uncomfortable, frustrating, um, sometimes dangerous experiences uh, for, for not just women, but, but predominantly right. yeah, for everyone. Yeah. Uh, and this problem's not gone away, has it? <laughs> no, <laughs> it's not. Um, you would have thought that, you know, a lot of people have highlighted it, but it's carrying yeah. on. I, I think there's a, there's also a weird, um, I don't know exactly what, what you want to call it, but like a weird revitalization of, a sort of some outdated ideas about relationships between men and women in the United States recently. Um, you know, I, I, probably due to the political climate here that, um, that has been driving some um, people to take action, to be emboldened to take action and say things that I don't think they would have previously and to feel like they are, they have air cover for that. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, that's disappointing. But um, I'm really interested in, in how that's going, and uh, you know, getting that to a stage where it will actually you know start to be effective. Because you know, the, the thought I feel the same as you. You know, it sickens me the thought that somebody would go to a conference and feel the whole time they were there that they couldn't do something. Uh, you know, couldn't have a drink with someone or have a chat with someone because you know it's going to be misconstrued or you know, taken the wrong way. Um, final thing to say, Rand, <laughs> on a more lighter note. Yeah. Uh, I've worked out that uh, we both started out the same way. Uh, we are uh, web designers from the last century. <laughs> so, oh my God. It sounds so, it sounds yeah. so um, antiquated when you put it that way. <laughs> it does. It does. Um, yeah, I think I built my first website in 95. <laughs> but I'm just wondering whether we should start some sort of club for uh, <laughs> aging uh, last century web designers <laughs> where we can all compare notes on uh, the blink tag or something crazy like that. Oh, yeah. I mean, I remember doing all of my designs in, uh, in Macromedia Flash. That was my uh, poison of choice back in the late 90s, early 2000s. Oh, Flash. <laughs> or <Yeah>. Dreamweaver. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I still have, uh, I'm not going to lie, I still do some design stuff in, uh, in Flash, even though Adobe has basically retired it. Um, yeah, I was going to say, I didn't know it existed anymore. No, it's pretty much gone. I'm the, old, I'm the last one. <laughs> the last remaining Flash designer. Exactly. <laughs> occasionally, occasionally, you'll see a graphic in a blog post or a presentation for me that was uh, taken from one of my Flash files. Yeah, because you just find you still find it just easy to use and do quickly. Yeah, it's flash so comfortable, right? I, when I open up Illustrator, it just takes me forever to do anything in there. But uh, Flash, I can crank it out in a few seconds. Great! <laughs> I love that you're still doing your own stuff in Flash. <laughs> <laughs> Rand, thank you very much for uh, talking to me today. It's really great to get updated on uh, Spark Forum and uh, everything else that that you're doing. I'm really looking forward to uh, you know the product when you bring it out. I'm sure it will be. Uh, exceptional um, and uh, yeah and the, the free tool that you're, you're bringing out soon as well thank you very much for your time yeah my pleasure Paul thank you for having me I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Rand for more info on Spark Toro please visit www.sparktoro.com for more info about this show 
and to get our links to iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher and YouTube, check out www.47insights.com. And if you have any SaaS marketing insights that you'd like to share on the show, please get in touch. Until next time.